Hi, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, and welcome to the Passion Mama podcast. Each episode, I interview a guest about modern motherhood to address its challenges, but more importantly, to celebrate its opportunities. From prenatal experts to postnatal health specialists, nutritionists, mums, and mums to be, I ask them to share their insights and stories with us. Welcome to Passion Mama in Conversation. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Passion Mama podcast in conversation. Today we are joined by behavioural change specialist and best-selling author of The Kindness Method, Sharu Izadi. Her work is concerned with helping people to raise their self-esteem, self-awareness and self-belief so that they can in turn change their unwanted habits for good. Her second book, which focuses on changing unwanted eating habits, called The Last Diet, will be released on Boxing Day this year and is currently available for pre-order in the UK. Shiru, hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Um, So we're going to dive straight into things. Um, Why don't we start by you telling us a bit about how you came to do the kind of work that you do? Sure. I uh, started off working in the NHS after I finished my degrees in psychology and psychosocial science. And I, the first placement that I did was in an addiction service in Northwest London. And I started picking up all the tools and evidence-based approaches that were being used with addicts to change their behaviors. And I noticed more and more that these weren't just addiction tools, they were motivational tools that could be applicable to day-to-day habits. And so, through a series of different jobs, I was a consultant and a trainer to healthcare workers, and then um, eventually started delivering personal development workshops at the School of Life. What I noticed was that these tools, when they were stripped down and you took out specific words, essentially, applicable to things like procrastination and uh, weight loss, if you wanted, and things like that. And what I realized was that many of the components required for change didn't have to do with the substance in particular or the behavior in particular. They had to do almost entirely with building the self-belief and self-awareness and self-compassion that you need um, to, to change any habit. And also having um, an understanding of the science of motivation, which is something we're not really taught at school, um, which is interesting to me because it's applicable to so many areas of our lives. We're invariably going to want to change habits yeah. at various stages of our lives and it seems unfair to always have to wait till things have got really bad and then outsource something or hand ourselves over to some sort of guru as opposed to have the tools ourselves that we know work um, to change habits ourselves. Yeah and that's actually how we kind of came to connect in terms of the fact that when I was trying to start this business um, and try and get Passion Mama off the ground I was I needed to change my procrastination habits. I was found myself just being busy all the time but not actually having any output. And you really helped me. You gave me the tools that I needed in order to kind of change that. And now the business is starting to kind of get off the ground, which is amazing. So is the kindness method the tool, the, the skill set that you give to people? How would you... Yeah, it's a handover. Yeah. Like even with you, you're, you're a prime example. You knew exactly what you needed to do. Um, you just wanted insight into why you weren't doing it. Mm. And that's really often what, I'd say 90% of the people who come to me already know exactly what they want to do, and they know how to do it. 
the insight that they want from me is why am I not doing it right. then? <laughs> and that's really, really common. And we've never had more, inf more information available to us either. Yeah. Regardless of what you're trying to, to change, you could just do a simple Google and you can find an enormous number of templates and talks and, you know, a lot of people actually procrastinate more by educating themselves on how to <laughs> yeah. pro procrastinate less. Yeah. <laughs> um, they become like experts in how not to procrastinate. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of the time people just need tools. And I noticed that working in addiction, especially telling people what to do doesn't help. It makes them feel patronized and like you don't understand them, especially if you haven't got a rapport yet and you haven't worked with them for ages and, and got to really understand the landscape of their internal and external life. And more and more, I don't want to tell people what their goals should be. I don't want to um, profess to know what their motivators are. I just want to give them the tools so that they can be honest with themselves about what their valued direction is. You know, I lost ate stone in weight and ended up keeping it off more easily than ever using the methods from the kindness method after a lifetime of extreme dieting and abusing myself with food and losing and gaining enormous amounts of weight and when I was str struggling really often people would tell me incredibly obvious things like Such as. <laughs> like did you know that you're overweight and that's not good <laughs> and I was like yeah no I'm living in my body and seeing mirrors everywhere so, yeah, thanks. Or like, did you know that eating that entire cake is probably not ideal for weight loss? And I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I definitely did. Because actually people in my, in my position were always actually incredibly, like the, the seasoned dieter is actually incredibly informed. Um, more informed yeah. than the average GP, I'd say, yeah. a lot of the time. And then the interesting thing was I'd go to the GP and the GP would say, look, you're going to get heart, I was like 19 stone or something. And he was like, you're going to get heart disease you're gonna get diabetes. And then I would come out and I'd still wanna eat like all the donuts in the world. And I remember thinking to myself, don't I care about diabetes or heart disease? What's wrong uh, with yeah. me? Um, and then I realized that no, the reality is, first of all, you can change for whatever reason you want, you know, whatever gets you there. Mine, my reasons were kind of more concerned with vanity. And in the end, now I'm, you know, at much lower risk of getting diabetes, so whatever. Yeah. Added bonus. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the time people think that their reasons need to be really noble and and the other thing is very often it's it's hard to separate and prioritize your long-term goals when you have such a close and important relationship with your short-term fixes mm. and often we think that knowing something's good for us is enough to make us do it and then if we don't do it then we beat ourselves up for not being doing what's good for us and what we're doing is massively underestimating that even if you're engaging in an unwanted behavior that's become problematic it's probably a solution to something or was a solution to something as opposed to just a problem. And it's that solution, it's, it's, it's gaining insight into the solution that gives you insight into why you're finding it so difficult to change, what you needed a solution for, and what else might be able to do that job if it's something, if it's a coping st strategy you wanna get better at long term. Like you don't get better at drinking wine, your tolerance increases. Yeah. And wine is a more effective short-term coping strategy for stress than meditation. But you get better at meditation. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when people ask me what's a good habit and a bad habit, I don't like to use words like that. But I do often say, like, ask yourself, am I going to get better at this? Is this how I want to be dealing with right. this in three or five years? Is yeah. this how I'd want my child to be dealing with mm. this, et cetera? Yeah. And is that why it's called the kindness method? In that it's looking at the things that are ultimately 
yeah. being kinder to yourself. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, uh, I've, I've, I've been asked on a few occasions, what if I think being kind to myself is just eating chips all day? Yeah, it's a and, good question. And what I say to those people is, if you're ever doubting whether the definition, what your definition of kindness is, consider what you'd want the person you love most to do with their body at that point. What decision you would like them to make. And usually that's where we find common sense. Um, and also, my definition of kindness is very much concerned with things like, you know, if you want to change, don't focus on what's wrong with you and what's wrong about your habits. Focus on what's right with you so that you can uncover the resources that you require. Focus on what's right with your habits so you can forgive yourself and identify what other coping strategies you need to put in place before you, you, you take your habits of comfort away. Mm. And also take your life off hold. You know, when I was unhappy with myself in various, for various reasons, I was waiting to be slim or waiting to change in some way and attain a goal before I felt worthy of doing certain things, wearing certain things, dating, going out, whatever. I was like, okay, on this elusive day, when I look like this, then I'm gonna do all these things. And I had a counseling session once um, and the counselor said to me, what if you're never slim? And I can't tell you how much, how angry it made me, this, this, this question, because my true north was always that my, throughout my whole life. That's when life was gonna really begin. And then, um, or begin again on the next cycle of mm. rapid weight loss. And I just started taking her advice. And what I did eventually, once the, I wasn't so vexed, <laughs> is I started behaving as though I'd already lost all the weight. I started doing all the things that I associated with someone who was slim. So I was taking better care of myself. I was drinking more water. I was being active just for the sake of my body, not f as an outcome-based task. And lo and behold, I lost weight more quickly than I ever had before. So I think kindness-wise, take, you know, it's easier to achieve your goals when you start being nice to yourself regardless of your goals. Because doing difficult things is easier when we feel good. It's really as simple as that, which is why I find it extraordinary that we start things on Monday morning. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. you're far better yeah. off acknowledging you're doing something difficult and working on your belief that you can do something difficult. And also, the kindness element, a large, proportion, a large part of it is learning to speak to yourself the way that you'd speak to a loved one. Very often when we have a blip from a plan of change, a difficult plan of change, and we deviate from it for one reason, planned or unplanned. Mm. The conversation we have with ourselves is often, before it's examined and reprogrammed, horrible. So when I do workshops, I'll put my hand up. <laughs> Sorry, when I do workshops, I'll ask a, a room full of people, remember the last time you let yourself down in some way, like you locked your keys in the car, or you got told off at work, or something, you know, whatever, you, you, you snapped at your partner. What, sort of things did you say to yourself afterwards? And people will put their hands up and be like, I don't even want to say it because of the profanity, yeah. right? Like just mean stuff. Yeah. And then I'll immediately say, what would you say to someone else if you were tasked, a person you love, or indeed anyone, if you were tasked with getting them back on track as quickly as possible? And the messages are the direct opposite. Right. So the kindness element also comes in if you're changing habits or forgiving yourself quickly in understanding that getting back on track is about the conversation you have with yourself. And if you have a kind, understanding, encouraging conversation with yourself, the one that you would have with a loved one, you'll get stuff done. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and more quickly, I mean, I'm all for love yourself, unconditionally self-worth, all that stuff, but my specific work is absolutely concerned with getting stuff done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you will do yeah, it if I you're nicer to ask, yourself. Is there like a, a fine line that you've seen that is 
between like self-love and self-care versus like total self-indulgence and actually it can turn slightly ne negative what loving yourself too much yeah no no okay great <laughs> that's good to know no i don't think i think if, if you're um if it turns into a sort of lording it over other people <laughs> right. and being like going around and telling other people that they should be doing it and what they should be doing and i find that quite annoying I don't know whether there's science behind that, but for what it's worth, I find that deeply <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, but no, I don't think that. And I think as women especially, there's a lot of imposter syndrome going around. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the worst insult that could, you could ever have would be, she loves herself. Oh, yeah. That was the worst <laughs> insult ever. Um, and now I'd say most of my work is concerned with helping people unlearn that, that professing to love yourself is, um, or professing to truly deserve your success is not something that people are going to want to drag you down from. Mm. And I think as women, we need to call each other out on it and be like, no, no, no caveats. You're just good at that. Mm. And that's it. Mm. You've worked hard and you're good at it. Or even you haven't worked hard. Yeah, you just happen to be good at it because good that's you. who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Own it. It's fine. Yeah. And I've also found that the more secure I've been and the more, um, sure I am of what I love about myself and what's great about me, the more open I am to hearing what's not, which is also really important too. I'm not living on a cloud of yeah. everything I do is golden. Um, it's actually helped me enormously in being able to not become defensive when, I, when people bring to my attention areas of p potential improvement. <laughs> yeah. Because I know myself and I know that I could do a bunch of stuff wrong and still be a, a, a good person yeah. and be doing well. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you've, you've got a good self-care regime and um, you're working on yourself and things are going well and you're, you're, you're happy and content. And then something comes along that, as you said before, is either planned or unplanned and can potentially dislodge that. For example, having a baby. Um, do you find that women tend to change their habits, change their values? Like how, how, how can particularly, I guess, new mothers or actually second time mothers as well, each time it will be different, navigate kind of keeping on that track when something so monumental has happened? I think that's a really important question. I do have a lot of clients who've just had babies or are trying to navigate going back to work and realizing that their routines or the things that kept them feeling like they could deal with stress and anxiety and day-to-day um, -day pressures are, the options are no longer available to them, either for time reasons or because they have to be in the house, etc. And actually a lot of the time I speak to mothers who are adopting habits that they're not delighted with too, to deal with stress, you know, because they can't leave the house. For example, like a new mother thinking, okay, I'm drinking a little bit more wine than I'd, mm. than I'd like to be, etc. Um, and I'd say a lot of the time we revert back to plans that worked for us when the landscape of our life was entirely different and we don't give up and then when we can't follow through with them we blame ourselves and we forget that we owe ourselves a check-in to kind of say okay well my needs are different my body's different my values are different what's important to me is different and maybe instead of thinking I'm gonna have the opportunity in the next six months to miraculously be this person who gets enough sleep to wake up an hour earlier and do this exercise maybe I could pepper this throughout my day mm. five minutes here five minutes there maybe I could get off a, you know 
one stop early on the bus. Maybe I could make sure there's music playing while I'm cooking or whatever it is to try and make it so that your environment reinforces that you're important and that, you're, and that the plan needs to work for you, not the other way around. A lot of the time I'll get people coming in who want to try and implement plans that worked when they were at university and now they've got two kids, full-time job, um, and just all sorts of other pressures and their bodies are entirely different and their minds are different and their values are different and they'll just try and keep fitting into this framework because they just associate it with success. Right. And I think it's important to remember that we um, are allowed to change that up whenever we like and we can go out and do some research yeah. and find out what other people are doing. Yeah. And so often we sh it's just about a little bit more thought mm. and remembering that you're allowed to create plans that work for you. It, it and it can change constantly. Yeah, right? it can change every week. Yeah. I'm asked all the time on podcasts and interviews and stuff, what's your morning routine? And I can tell you in the last like six months, <laughs> It must sound like I keep making it up. <laughs> but the fact is, I'm so open to being like, mm, maybe I'm going to start journaling every morning. Oh, maybe I'm going to do a stretch routine. Oh, you know, and it'll depend on how much time I have, etc. The thing that matters is that I'm repeating behaviors that reinforce that I'm starting my day or continuing my day in a way that at every possible opportunity reinforces that my experience matters. Even if it's that I'm, you know, for example, one of the main things that I've done and I highly recommend to everyone I ever speak to, yeah. don't look at your phone first thing in the morning. Do not do that. Yeah. Give yourself 10 yeah. minutes, 15 minutes yeah. to decide how you're going to do your day before your day starts doing you. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's really important. That's a really important one. It's almost wildly. So, it's crazy how hard it is to do. It is. And I think even that is an opportunity. You know, when we when we talk about negative self-talk, I found one of the most effective ways to turn up the volume on how you're speaking to yourself is to do something a little bit hard. And by a little bit hard, you know, I mean, don't sign up for a marathon. Don't look at your phone for 10 minutes in the morning, you know, and you'll, you'll notice, you'll be thinking, what if there's an emergency? What if I'm missing something? What if whatever? And you'll realize over and over again, you came out unscathed and nothing happened. Then you actually start enjoying that shower and enjoying that coffee. But, um, you know, we are, tech has come into our lives at an unprecedented rate and we don't know yet what it's doing to us, but it's certainly not helping to, to set us up right. Also, people, especially who work with, you know, international clients. I have I have clients who are up at times when I'm not up, and so I'll get up at seven a.m. or I used to before I started not having my phone. Get up at seven a.m. even if it was just a pee or something, and I glance at my emails, and then go That's back go back to bed. Oh really? Yeah yeah yeah. Oh wow. So I I mean I I was really bad at it, and also because when you have the kind of job when you're self-employed, where there isn't any cohesion, you're not speaking to one team. You've got clients, you've got publicists, you've got people working on workshops, you've got people like working on all sorts of things. And so people are not going to be respectful of who else has contacted yeah. you that day. It's up to you to put those, those boundaries in place. And what I found is really helpful is I use my old phone. How old is old? I oh, think in my not head, like 32, like, 10, yeah. Nokia yeah. something. I just it's play just Snake. Just like a, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, no, it's, it's an iPhone. <laughs> but what I do is, a lot of us have, you know, have had upgrades by now. I don't think I'm being too fancy schmancy no, when not. I say that. You're not. But um, what I do is I've got a well-being phone. So it's just got an alarm clock, couch to 5K, some um, evening like hypnotism, meditation, yeah. guided whatever, stretch stuff. So anything that's just for well-being and it's not, um, yeah, I haven't got my emails on there, Wi-Fi only, downloaded music on there. So just 
That's actually a really good idea. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you look so surprised, <laughs> yeah. and yet this is literally my job. <laughs> um, but yeah, and also like treating some apps as junk food is really important. They're fun and they're great, but you don't need to be eating them yeah. all day. Yeah, that's true. I actually tried to do something. I moved because my Instagram was on my home screen, and I moved it onto the second screen and into a folder. So actually, for the first few days, I found myself going to where it was, and I realized, my God, thank God I've moved it. But now after so many weeks, I know exactly where it is. So yeah. the habit like is... Like a baby. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what, what you've done there is um, people who write about tech, like a guy called Nir Eyal, writes beautifully on tech um, and talks about friction. So what you've done there is you've added a point of friction. There's a, there's a speed bump between you wanting to do something and you following through with it. And when you describe it that way, you can see why my job is concerned with making people impose voluntary friction. So I, impulse control is essentially about noticing you want to do something and then making it harder to do it and noticing you don't want to do something that ultimately you want to be doing automatically mm -hmm. and making it easier to do that. So for example, I always used, used to think if I was a person who journaled in the morning then I was going to have to create a shrine and <laughs> candles and incense and I would sit with my quill and I'd need to buy a special chair and all that stuff. And now my journal is by the kettle. It's a piece of paper with a pen where I scribble down what I think is going to test me that day and what I'm going to do if and when it does. And it takes me five minutes and it's by the kettle because I'm going to the kettle mm. in the morning. Um, and if, we, you know, if you look at it in the context of tech, I always use the same example, so I have to think of a new one, but for the sake of this being the last time I use it. You know, my phone opens with my face, <laughs> and then all my Amazon Prime stuff is preloaded. So basically, if I wanted to buy that mug, I would find it, open my phone with my face, find the mug, before I've even thought, like, do I have other mugs on the way? Do I need a mug? Do I even drink hot drinks? Um, before I know it, it's at my house tomorrow. Returning that mug mm. is a nightmare. <laughs> it's a frictionful process. So we're being manipulated massively. And the same logic can absolutely apply to creating and changing our habits. Make it easy to do the things that you want to start doing and make it harder to do the things you don't. For example, if I know I'm working late into the night, I don't just delete Deliveroo. I take my card details out. Wow. So then I have to go, hmm, is there anything in the kitchen mm. that I could eat before I make this decision? Mm. And actually, I have a friend um, who has an enormous Instagram following, and she does incredibly well at managing her mental health beautifully. And what she does is she just, because, you know, you and I are both in a position where social media, for example, is a big part of our actual jobs. And so the lines get blurred. And what she does is she posts her stories and everything. And then she logs out and deletes Instagram until tomorrow. Really? Yeah, that's it. That's me done with that app. Mm. And so all this constant scrolling and mindless distraction is taken out. I also did a thing where I have folders. I've got AM and PM folders. There are certain apps I don't need to be looking at in the day, yeah. and I know full well. Mm. I don't need to be looking at Outnet <laughs> at 9 a.m. Yeah. on the way to work. Like, I just don't, don't need to. Yeah. Um, etc. And it isn't about saying they're bad, it's just saying that they weren't, th there were no rules given to us for this stuff. And more and more people come to talk to me about tech because of the habits that they're developing that they don't want their kids to develop and saying, mummy's on the phone all the time, but she's telling me not to be on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that's something that, you know, I imagine that, you know, we grow up with all of these habits, wanted, unwanted ones. You know, how can we, is there a way that we can avoid transferring those onto our kids? Or, you know, is it such that if we feel one way about something, we'll do the complete opposite with our children in the hopes that they won't turn out like us? You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just, um, are there coping mechanisms or tools that mothers can be aware of? Yeah, I think in the first instance, whether you're looking at, look at your own behavior the way that we look at your child, with a compassionate curiosity and without judgment. Look at where it came from, look at why it's there. Ultimately, we're all working a program. Those of us who either come against a serious life challenge or make a concerted effort for some reason to change that program, realize that you can. But I think in the first instance, it's about saying that you need to change your own program and realize that it's possible. Because also bear in mind, generationally, and just because of the landscape of the world right now, your kids are probably going to have problems you don't even understand. <laughs> you don't even understand the names of yeah. the problems that they have. So you're, I think in, this, in the spirit of handing over tools, it's far better to show that if you don't like a habit, you can change it with compassion and curiosity by looking at why it's developed and forgiving yourself for having developed it. And that, that's the spirit with which we're all changing our habits throughout our lives and handing over self-esteem tools, etc., as opposed to isolating habits and worrying about those specifically, which very often people do. That's really nice. Thanks. Um, so, I mean, that sounded like a tip in itself, but I was going to say for the final question, um, any kind of tips that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I do something that I tell most of my clients to do five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. In the morning, as I mentioned earlier, it's um, a lot of us engage in habits that we later regret, especially if we're trying to change our, our habits. We can be motivated one second and then not give a tiny rad spum. Flying monkeys. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> a flying monkeys about it a few, a few hours later. And um, what I find really helps with that is in the morning, as I said, I just, I, I draw a line in the middle of a page and on one side I write what are the things I'm going to tell myself or that are likely to happen to me today based on the schedule I have ahead and the, you know, the day that I'm going to have um, that are likely to make me want to behave in ways I will later regret. And what that does is draw to my attention how predictable my patterns are. Um, and it also helps me catch when those things happen, when I'm triggered by those things. Like for example, I didn't have the best night's sleep and even though I know I want to go for a spin class, I'm probably going to tell myself that because it's raining and I didn't have the best night's sleep and I just got my period, that I shouldn't go. Mm. And then on the other side, I write, I'm going to go anyway. And the fact is, when that comes around, I, it, I just feel so smug in a way. and yeah. being like, oh, I literally knew my brain was going to tell me this. <laughs> so I'm going to do it anyway. And I decided this morning when I was making decisions for my you know, that were in my best interest, that I was going to go despite this stuff and not just hope that that stuff wasn't going to be there. So that really helps me and I just spend five minutes doing that. And then at the end of the day, I spend five minutes just quickly writing down the things that I'm proud of myself for doing or not doing that day. And the not doing is really important when it comes to changing habits too. Because very often, the most effective thing you can do is nothing if you're trying to change a habit. 
rather than replace it, is mm. to sit in your discomfort and do nothing. So if someone annoys you in that day, and usually you would snap at them, and today you manage not to, then you should acknowledge yourself for having done that. Um, because very often we're changing and adapting and growing in ways that we don't give ourselves credit for. Because as we were discussing earlier, we don't get personal CVs, we just have professional ones. But we don't say, do you know what, I used to be really not very good at, you know, not very resilient when it came to this area or that area, or, you know, knowing which wars to fight with my family members over Christmas or whatever. And now I can kind of ride that out. Mm. And there, there isn't a framework for us to give ourselves credit for that. So I think it's nice to create one for ourselves. That's really nice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that. Mm. Um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having Always me. Always such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. You too. Okay, so I'm just going to do a test one. So if you just want to say some things. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. So What's your name? Where do you come from? <laughs> Hi, my name's Sally. I come from Sydney and now I live in London. Great.